obviously tonight we're talking about the church, and as we're talking about the church, uh, Hunter actually found that video. Uh, I had a different opening, and that fit way better than what I had, so I threw it in there. So ecclesiology, uh, the study of the church, uh, the assembly that is called out. Uh, Oftentimes in the Old Testament, uh, you will see um, as they talked about the church, it was oftentimes referred to uh, as the church of God. that, that's in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, for civil affairs, when the church would go out, when the assembly would go out for civil affairs, for wars, uh, when they would uh, go out to fight other nations, uh, when they called out uh, for meeting with other nations, uh, for religious purposes, when they called out the assembly for religious purposes. And we see these very specifically being used in the Old Testament uh, the word ecclesiology is actually, uh, or, or ecclesia, is used uh, approximately 114 times in the New Testament. And um, oftentimes uh, referred to as in a home church, in a small group, meeting in a home together. We see that in Romans a lot. Uh, sometimes the church, ecclesia, is often used in a particular city. So when this group would meet in a city... They were called the church. And then, of course, in a certain region. So in an, an entire region, when they would say, this group is going to meet in this region, they were also called the church. So regardless of whether they're in a home, a city, a region, or even a country like Asia, they were all referred to as the church. Uh, and they used that same word there, ecclesia, that, uh, it, it, that is used here. So when we take all of those terms together, all the way from the Old Testament and the assemblies and and uh, God's people being called out and in the New Testament, whether locally or uh, in a region, we see that it is the universal body composed of all true believers in Christ, united in him by the Holy Spirit, thus the reason for many local churches The local church is the visible representation of the universal body. So we have to understand that, uh, yes, we're going to read some scriptures tonight that show that ecclesia and the calling out of the church, it is, without a doubt, all believers who believe in God uh, that have ever uh, walked the face of the earth, that are living today, they are the church. But it also is talking about the local church as well. So we need to remember that um, as we move forward. If you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As we look at this question, what is ecclesiology? and How that relates to us today and why is it important? So Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 4. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you well called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So one body, one spirit, um, one faith, one baptism, uh, under one God, the Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. 
So as we look at this term, church, uh, there's two different areas that I want us to look at as far as the church, and that's the visible church versus the invisible church, okay? Uh, the visible church versus the invisible church. And let me just say this. There's a ton of blanks tonight, and uh, I'm sorry about that. I was just getting you warmed up for Secret Church Friday night. Uh, Crystal actually called me David Platt today in the office, and so uh, you'll just have to pay attention, right? Uh, so the visible ver- church versus the invisible church. The visible church is the church that we see day in, day out, every single day. That's you, that's me. Here we are in a church, meeting together, studying God's word. We are the visible church. When people see us come to church, we, maybe you wear your Emmanuel shirt, so you're saying that you belong to a church. That is what the visible church is. Belonging to a body of believers. Uh, It's the invisible church in that God knows who is truly a Christian and who is truly not a Christian. Uh, Church buildings today are filled with people who do not know Jesus. Uh, That's a sad reality, but it's true. They are filled with people today who do not know Jesus, but they claim to. And honestly, only God knows that. As 2 Timothy 2.19 says, the Lord knows who are his. So very clearly we see that um, this visible versus invisible church. And uh, Augustine said it pretty good like this. Uh, said that there are wolves within and there are sheep without. So meaning that there are wolves inside the church and then there are sheep that actually belong to God that are not a part of the church. So... We see both sides of that. We see both the visible and the invisible church. Uh, It would be very easy for us to try to slip. I'm sorry, is that just in the wrong spot? Uh, For us to slip into trying to peg people, whether they're believers or not, it would be easy for us to look at them and go, well, they don't act very Christian, right? But that's a very dangerous place to be in, and and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but... uh, Let's not try to slip into that uh, danger of trying to peg people, whether they are truly a follower or truly not a follower, uh, and being over-suspicious of that because that can lead to uh, dangerous things. And like I said, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, But let me just say this. It is not necessary to belong to a local church to be a believer. Now, in parentheses, I want you to understand that you should have a desire to belong to the local church if you are a believer. Uh, Obviously, you do not have to belong to the local church to be a believer, but you should desire to be. And on the flip side of that, belonging to the local church does not mean that you're a true follower of Jesus. So, So let's talk about some metaphors as it talks about um, ecclesiology. Let's talk about some metaphors that reference the church. Uh, The first one is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Uh, If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In referencing... The church, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, says, Now you are the body of Christ, 
and individually members of it. So, yes, we are members of a body, but it says we are the body of Christ. Um, We are a part of the body of Christ. So, let's look at number two, the bride of Christ. This is another one. And this is kind of where uh, Landon was talking last week when he spoke on the family and speaking of the importance of Uh, God creating marriage to serve as a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. As uh, very specifically, we are called the bride of Christ. Uh, Number three, God's family. We are part of God's family. Second Corinthians says we are his sons and we are his daughters and he is our father. So... We are the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And it talks about us, the church, being a part of God's family. Uh, In John chapter 15, it talks about being the vine and the branches. And we know that uh, it says that if we are a part of God, if we belong to his body, that it says we will bear fruit. And that means good fruit. And it says if we do not bear fruit... It says that we will be cut off and thrown in the, into the fire. So very specifically, it talks about us being the vine and the branches. Uh, next is a pillar or ground of the truth or a foundation uh, for something to be built on, a pillar. And we will see here that, that that's literally what it means. It's, it's a foundation. It's a, something that uh, Christ can build his church upon. And, and Peter is often called the rock upon that. And this is something else that talks about that. Uh, next is the building. As it's talking about. Uh, and not a building as in the building that we're sitting in. But we are part of a holy temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, you are a temple. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, you're a holy temple. uh, And we belong to Christ. Next is a holy nation or a royal priesthood. A holy nation or a royal priesthood. If you have a a Bible, open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be in verse 9. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So, I want you to think about, and we're not done, we have one more, but I want you to think about all of these different metaphors that reference the church because I think oftentimes when we begin to think about who we are in Christ and who we are as the church I don't think we oftentimes think of ourselves as the body of Christ or the bride of Christ or a part of God's family or a holy nation or a royal priesthood and I want us to start thinking about God's word and what it says because when we truly do 
believe who we are in Christ, it changes how we live. It changes how we are. Uh, and that brings up the last part. Our, we're salt and light. And you can read those verses. Like I said, we don't have time to read all of these scriptures tonight. But um, or it talks about us bringing flavor to the world. For us uh, to bring light to the world. Like with light. You don't put it under uh, a shade. But you put it in the middle of the room. On a table. So that it gives light to everyone. And that's who we are to be in the world. So a little bit about what the church is a little bit about um, some of the things in God's word that it says we are as the church. So um, let's look at some ideas of what type of church we should be, what type of church that we should want to be a part of. Um, Because I know this video made a lot of crack jokes about, you know, I want a pastor whose shirt is untucked and frayed jeans and that's cool and hip and has command of the, of the stage, but he's also personal to me, okay? And we make jokes about that, but, you know, in a, in a side way, we are, uh, we're selfish about the church that we go to, aren't we? And we want it a certain way, and we want it to fit our needs and our desires. And so we're going to talk about, Mark Dever has a book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And we read this as a staff and uh, it was an excellent book. So really, the, the next nine points are going to be straight from his book, straight from him. And these are nine things that should label a healthy church. And I hope and pray that it's nine things that we should strive to be at Emmanuel. And that all churches should strive to be in our world. So with so many churches, how do you choose one? And this is a good list to start with that. So let's look at number one, preaching. Preaching. It's a great place to start. According to Scripture, God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish through speaking. We see that in Genesis. In the beginning, uh, God spoke, and then there were things. There were not things, and then he spoke, and then there were things. So when he wanted to get something done, he spoke. And if preachers want their sermons to be filled with God's power, they must preach what God says. And so I hope if you are looking for a church, if you are trying to decide what type of church to be a part of, the number one thing would be preaching. Um, We see tons of examples of the type of preaching and teaching that we should uh, like. We see the Levitical priest uh, teaching the law in Deuteronomy 33. We see Ezra and the Levites read from the law and make sense of it. I love it in in Nehemiah where it says, not only did they read the scriptures, but they explained it to people who did not understand. So we want to hear God's word. We want to have it explained to us. Peter and the apostles expounded scripture and urged the people who were there to respond with repentance and with faith. Um, And so... We do want to hear God's word, but there's also a warning. In Jeremiah 23 and 18 and 21 and 22, we see that God condemns those who speak out of their own imagination and not from the mouth of the Lord. So we see that God condemns those who do not speak what uh, his word has to say. Uh, And 
I hope and pray that when you listen to sermons, they are not sermons that tickle your ear, but they are sermons that come straight from the Word of God. Uh, Sometimes we like what God's Word says. Sometimes we don't like what God's Word says too much. And that's okay. But we, it needs to come straight from God's uh, Word. And so why is that important? Because God, God's Word convicts. God's Word converts. It builds up. It sanctifies God's people. Uh, if you have a Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, it says that all Scripture, in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Uh, I heard an excellent sermon one time that uh, it really just um, dug into the text, this text, and it said, it's good for teaching you what is right, what is not right how to get right, and how to stay right. And it made a little more sense to me at the time because I heard it as a teenager. And um, that's what God's Word, it's profitable, profitable for us. Uh, and it's good for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So number one mark of a healthy church is preaching. Secondly is biblical theology. So, yes, it is very important how you preach, uh, but it's also very important what you say, okay? Um, Biblical theology is sound doctrine, and it's the right thoughts about God, okay? So, I can stand up here and tell you right now from Scripture that Luke 11.9 tells us very specifically, Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, ask And it will be given to you. Now, I could stand up here and tell you that you can take that straight out of context. And that you can say, well, Jesus told his disciples, if you ask, it will be given. So, um, in in that manner, I'm going to ask God for a swimming pool. Because I would like a swimming pool. Am I going to get that? Probably not. Okay? Because if I take that text... And I try to make it say what I want it to say. Then if I teach that, uh, it is going to get me in a heap of trouble. Just like it said uh, earlier that uh, God condones that. He looks down upon that. So after giving the example, you see, Jesus, when he says that, he says that after he gives the example of what types of things you should ask for. Things like forgiveness of sin. Things like the coming of God's kingdom. Things like the basic necessities for life. Things like our simple daily bread. Things like the things that we need for us to serve God. That's what Jesus is telling the disciples to ask for. And he says, if you ask for these types of things, ask and it'll be given to you. But a lot of pastors take that for what they wanted to say. And they twist it around. And I'll just tell you that if you ask for, if I ask for a, uh, a new pool while preaching or while reading that verse, uh, 
you, of course, you'll hear the sigh of God, right? It'll be so loud. It'll be very loud. So, oh, Corey, you got it wrong. So, just as important as preaching is biblical theology. You have to understand what the text say, says, and you have to teach it that way. The entire Bible teaches sound doctrine. Great New Testament books are filled with rich doctrine. Uh, if you want to get deep into some doctrine-type uh, scriptures in the Bible, you can read Romans 1 through 11 or Ephesians 1 through 3. Just very rich in doctrine and who God is, who Jesus is, who we are as the church. Um, but many of the New Testament authors will argue that sound doctrine is needed to be a part of a healthy church and for that matter to be a healthy Christian. Uh, for you to be a healthy Christian, you have to have sound doctrine. So why is it important? couple of points here. Um, first is evangelism. The gospel is doctrine. Therefore, sound doctrine is ne necessary for evangelism. For us to go and to proclaim the gospel, we have to have a true picture of what the gospel is. Um, John 17. If you have a Bible, open up to John 17. And this is under discipleship. First, evangelism. Second, discipleship. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So um, as we read God's word together, as we study God's word together, it is a sanctifying process in our life. It is truth. And your word is truth. Um, Christians grow by learning and living in the light of truth. And that starts with preaching and preaching sound doctrine. Uh, unity. According to the New Testament, the only true unity is unity in the truth. Uh, worship, uh, to worship God is to declare his excellencies, as 1 Peter chapter 2 says, and to exalt him because of who he is. True worship is a response to sound doctrine. When we have right teaching, when we read it for what it really says, it leads us to respond with worship. Uh, number three, the gospel. The good news. Okay, before you go, don't, don't go any farther than that. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see how many of you listened uh, on the last study that we did. I don't know if it was the last study. But uh, if you were here, uh, if you were not here for Landon when he talked about uh, how to share the gospel, okay, the truth, the study on the truth. If you weren't here, you're off the hook. You don't have to fill in the next four blanks on your own. But if you were here... Let's see how good we are in filling in the next four blanks on how to share the gospel. Because it's very important. Don't cheat off your neighbor. Some of y'all looking. The first word is God. Okay? You can fill in that blank. Four points on how to share the gospel and what that looks like. I should make you all, how many of you have all the answers correct? How many of you have half the answers? No. Okay, what's the first one? God is holy. God is holy. I think they're all going to be up there. Yeah. So the gospel, the good news, God is holy. Man is sinful. Jesus is the answer. Repent and believe. These are all four things that should be etched in our brain 
Uh, and to be honest with you, uh, if you're going to memorize them, go ahead and memorize them with Scripture so that you can throw out Scripture at the drop of a hat so that at any time that anyone asks you for you to give a reason for the hope that you have, you are able to give a reason for the hope that you have. And you can share the gospel that God is holy, man is sinful, Jesus is the answer, repent and believe. Why is it important for us to know how to share the gospel? One of the reasons why the gospel is important, and another reason why it's important for us to know how to share it, is that everything in the church flows from the understanding of the gospel. Okay, Whether we're preaching, whether we're counseling, whether we're discipling, uh, the music, the evangelism, missions, everything flows from the gospel. Okay? The entire Old Testament points forward to what Jesus did on the cross. The entire New Testament uh, and even into uh, after Jesus has ascended into heaven is about what Jesus did on the cross, the work that he accomplished, and what he continues to do through his church. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus came to do. And that's what scripture, that key moment where God sends his son. As my son has been memorizing this week. John 3.16. That is what the gospel is. And it's most important because everything that we do flows from what Jesus did for us. So it's very important for us to know the gospel. Um, Put a big circle on number three. Put a star by it. That's something that we need to memorize and have in our mind to share. Number four, conversion. Conversion. A biblical understanding of conversion recognizes both what God does and what people do in salvation. Okay? In conversion, God, uh, first of all, he gives life to the dead. As we see in Ephesians chapter 2, he gives life to the dead. Secondly, he gives sight to the blind. And he gives us the gift of faith and repentance. And if you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 11. Faith and repentance. Verse 18. It says, When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Uh, This is a great verse for us. Because I don't think any of us in here are Jew. So we are Gentile. And this verse means that that God coming to this earth to... Uh, for people, we're not just for the Jewish people, but it was for all people. And that includes us. So, we repent, we believe. Um, you know, conversion is very important. Uh, John uh, Newton quoted it like this. I am not a man. I'm not the man I ought to be. I'm not the man I wish to be. I'm not the man I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not the man I used to be. So, It's that running of the race. It's that chasing after uh, where God calls us to be perfect. Will we ever reach that? No. 
but it says, uh, by the grace of God, we're not who we used to be. We're not necessarily who we want to be yet, but we're headed in the right direction. Having a conversion experience should be the turning point of beginning to look different than the rest of the world. Guys, we, we should look different than the world. And I don't care if we're a one-day-old Christian or if we're, we've been a Christian our whole life, whatever you want to say there. But we should look different than the world. We should have a different outlook on what the world uh, says we should. It should be different. That conversion experience uh, should be different in our life. And it next goes into evangelism. Evangelism should be what happens when we hear the gospel and accept the good news. And unfortunately, uh, definitely unfortunately, but uh, it's a command also. And I know you guys have heard this verse a million times. And about Matthew chapter 28, okay? And this is, therefore go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to, or baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And it says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But in order for us to evangelize biblically, we have to preach the whole gospel. We can't preach a partial gospel. We have to preach the whole gospel. Even the hard news about God's wrath against our sins uh, we have to be prepared to tell people that if they reject the gospel, what comes after that? Because there is punishment for sin. There is wrath for the sin that we've committed. Uh, and it's either going to be poured out upon you or it's going to be poured out upon Jesus. Or it has been poured out upon Jesus. So we have to preach the whole gospel. And also we have to call people to repent of their sins and to trust Jesus. Um, that is part of evangelism. We have to tell people the whole gospel, and then we have to tell them about how to repent and trust Jesus. And we have to make it clear, very clear, uh, as I was talking to uh, someone who has joined the church uh, recently, and as I was speaking with him, uh, one of the things that, uh, one of the reasons why he left his former church is because he said, I walked down the aisle. I told them I wanted to get saved. They said, amen. That's great. And they had me fill out a card. They did not have him pray. They did not pray with him. And they said, welcome to the family. And they patted him on the back. And they, everyone clapped for him. And he said, I never received another phone call. I never was reached about how to start coming to a Bible study. And he was like... He got a very different picture of what the Bible tells us evangelism looks like. And it should be, uh, evangelism should look like that. Preach the whole gospel. We call people to repent and believe. And we make it clear that believing in Christ is costly, but it's worth it. So, uh, so why is this important? Because if we do not teach a, a true gospel, and if we do not evangelize correctly, um, it leads to us giving a, a message that is not the gospel. We share, we give people a false hope and salvation when they don't really have it. 
And so if you're not preaching, if you're not teaching and sharing a true gospel picture, then people may not be accepting uh, the Jesus that they think they are. So it's very important for us to know what we believe, uh, where to find it in Scripture, and how to share it correctly. It's very important for us to do those things. Uh, Next, membership. The church is the body of Christ. And church membership is a commitment every Christian should make to attend, uh, to love, to serve, and to submit to a local church. Uh, my wife is sitting right back there, back row Baptist, back there on the back. Um, but if I were to tell Catherine that uh, I wanted to be a Christmas and Easter only husband, okay? I only wanted to be married to her during the holidays and maybe on Easter. And we'll throw Thanksgiving in too because Thanksgiving's just too good, right? Uh, so... If I were to only to try to be married to her during those times, how good is our relationship going to be? How, mar- how good is our marriage going to be? Right? You're like, terrible. Uh, and you would be a fool to try to think that that would be okay. But we have countless people who believe that that's how the church should be. I walked down an aisle. I made a profession of faith. I signed a card. I'm a Christian. I'm good to go. I've been baptized. Okay, And so we do not believe that we have to be a part of the body. We don't believe that we have to be a member of the body. I can do church at home. Okay, There's plenty of good preachers on, uh, on uh, the internet that uh, I can listen to. Or there's plenty of uh, TV stations that have church services on there. And I can worship from my living room the same as I can worship from a pew or a chair. Uh, so, I can do it from home. What's the big deal? Uh, Old Testament history makes it very clear. There's a very clear distinction between people, uh, between God's people and the world. Okay? It, in Leviticus and in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, over and over and over, you will hear him talk about, uh, you will hear him talk about outside the camp and people that are outside the camp. Even when they had diseases, it said you have to go outside of the camp for a while and then you can come back in. It says not letting your daughters or sons marry other people's sons and daughters that are outside the camp. So very specifically, it talked about different people in those situations. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 16, Christ says that entering the kingdom of God means being bound to the church. And yes, he's talking about the church on earth. So where do we see the church on earth? Where do we see uh, this mention in the church? And it's through the local church. We see through the local church that we see where God uh, makes known himself to the world through the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, open up there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Twelve and thirteen. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So purge the evil person from among you. And this text refers to some people being inside the church 
and some people being outside the church. And this is more than just a casual uh, association. This is a very different, a very specific talking about people inside the church and people being outside of the church. And you will see throughout the, throughout the New Testament, uh, if you were a follower of Christ, you were, it was just assumed, assumed that you belonged to the body of Christ. You belonged to the, to the church. Church membership is important because the church uh, presents God's witness to himself to the world. It displays his glory. Uh, when a church is operating biblically, when a church is uh, doing the things that they've been called to do, it displays the glory of God. And it is a beautiful picture for the world to see. And quite honestly, when a church is operating the way that God has called us to, uh, a lot of people from the outside want to get in. They want to be a part of that body. Because it is a body that loves one another, that cares for one another, that takes care of each other, that worships in spirit and in truth, and they have joy. So um, the world should see a group of people that have been changed by the gospel and see that God is holy and gracious and that his gospel is powerful for saving and transforming, transforming sinners. That's what the world should see when they look at Emmanuel Baptist Church or the church for that matter. So it's very important to be a part of the body of Christ. Uh, number seven, discipline. Here's that one y'all been waiting on all night, Discipline. This is a, another part of church membership. Church discipline is everything that the church does to help its member pursue holiness and fight sin. Now, you can, there's two different views. You have a very wide view of discipline, church discipline, where you see uh, if you come into this room and you hear a sermon on something that maybe we talk about it stepping on our toes, that's a form of discipline because we hear God's truth. And it affects us and it, hel it helps us to change. So through preaching, teaching, through prayer, through worship, through accountability, through relationships that we may have, through discipleship groups that we may have, um, maybe through oversight of pastors or elders. Maybe you come in to talk to Landon. And, and those are, that is a wide angle view of how church di discipline may take place. In a narrower sense... We see church discipline uh, is the act of correcting sin in the life of the body. Somebody very specifically and openly decides that they want to be in sin. And it takes some church action at that point. And in some extreme cases, it calls for uh, members or members of a church to be either excluded or to refrain from taking the sacraments. And we see that... Uh, like I said, there's scriptures there that talk about that happening in very specific cases. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 6 says this. For such a one, this punishment by majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So one of the things that we need to understand when it comes to discipline, because we're very quick to point a finger at other people and we really don't like when people point a finger at us, right? But we need to understand that in the same way that a stake in the ground may help a tree grow straight, in the same way that training wheels may help a child learn how to ride a bicycle, 
in the same way that musicians have to tirelessly, tyler, tirelessly, yeah, whatever, um, continue to practice over and over and over to perfect something. Um, they have to be disciplined at it. I remember the first D I ever made in school. It was in um, sixth or seventh grade geography. I hated geography. I think it really was just the fact that I didn't like my teacher. Uh, and I got a D. And I was scared to death to take it home. I was scared to death to tell my mom that I had made a D. Um, I thought, like I said, I thought the teacher hated me. Now, no teacher in their right mind, no normal teacher, would ever want to fail a student. But sometimes a student needs to see that D or that F to get their attention so that they can help them. So that, you know, teachers want their students to get an A. They don't want to fail them. Unless, like I said, they, there are some crazy teachers out there. I don't know. But that's what the church should be like. And if we're not living the way that Christ has called us to, when we put ourselves under the leadership, and we're going to talk about that here in a second, but when we put ourselves under the leadership of a church body, um, we are asking them, you know what? Grade me. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me. And that, like I said, that happens through teaching, preaching, prayer, all that good stuff. So lovingly helping one another succeed. That's what we should be in the church. And as a part of uh, when, with discipline, we will, by God's grace, bear fruit of righteousness, as Hebrews 12 tells us. We, were, we will bear the fruits of righteousness. So lovingly helping one another succeed. Number eight, discipleship. Discipleship. And if you do have a Bible, open up to Second Peter, because this is a long verse, and I want us all to read this together. Second Peter, chapter one. Starting in verse three. Says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us, uh, granted to us his precious and very great promise, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith and virtue with knowledge, uh, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are your uh, are yours and are increasing. Uh, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. It says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
Um, Paul also teaches uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 11 that people should not only grow uh, from instruction, but they should grow by f- watching him. Okay, He says, you know what? As I imitate Christ, I want you to imitate me. Uh, so I want you to stop and I want you to ask yourself if you are the type of person that when people look at you, they go, man, I want to be like that. And I think Landon talked about this a little bit last week in that I want to be a prayer warrior like that. And I want to love people like they love people. And I want to encourage people like they encourage people. And very specifically in the discipleship process, we should disciple people by them just watching us. We should disciple people by teaching them what God has taught us. You know, this room right now is filled with a ton of people who have the ability to teach God's word to other people. And that should be a desire of ours, to disciple other believers. And as we as the church should encourage our members to, first of all, grow in holiness. And second of all, teach others to grow in holiness. We should want to grow in holiness ourselves, but we should also want to teach that to others. We should want to teach that to our church body. Uh, we should all be growing in Christ, imitating other godly people, other godly Christians, and encouraging other people to do the exact same thing. But why? Why do we do this? And these are in your notes. Uh, because first of all, we are not finished yet. We are supposed to keep fighting. Uh, if God has not taken us home, he still wants to use you. So you're not finished. And I don't care if you're in here and you're 20 or if you're 95. God's not finished with you, so he still wants to use you. Um, second of all... If we do not continue to grow, we will become lazy, uh, which can be discouraging to other genuine Christians watching you and even falsely give assurance to false Christians. Uh, I want us to think about that for a second. If we do not continue to grow, two things can happen. One, we can become lazy. And like that scripture just said, uh, we can become useless. God will not use us. But the second thing that can happen is, well, they claim to be a Christian and they're not really doing anything. So therefore, I don't have to do anything. If they're okay, I'm okay. We give this false sense of hope to people who may be false Christians that think they're saved and they're really not. And we just give that false hope, false assurance. Uh, Lastly, when we become lazy... It gives us unhealthy, an unhealthy witness to the world. Lazy Christians become useless Christians. Okay? Uh, and I don't want us to ever get into that boat of being lazy. But if you do not seek discipleship, if you do not seek holiness, if you do not continue to pursue holiness in your relationship with God, you will become lazy And you will become useless. Last point. Number nine. Leadership. The Bible teaches teaches that each local church should be led by a group of godly qualified men called elders. Um, I have given you a list of scriptures that are qualification of elders. Qualifications of elders. And you can see those. Uh, Why is it important to be led 
uh, by elders, and it talks about uh, different things. And let's look at these. Number one, first of all, uh, we feed God's sheep God's word. Elders, leaders, our pastor um, feeds us God's word. Um, And hopefully, uh, not only uh, do you take what God's word has been, what has been taught to you during the week, but hopefully, like, you have so many scriptures here that you can go home and continue to uh, digest the text and to look at the text and really see what it has to say. But uh, I'm very thankful for the godly leadership that's been placed in our church, Uh, not only for you, but for me. It's made a huge difference in my life. So uh, secondly, uh, elders help guide the sheep. Guide the sheep. Uh, Gives direction, gives guidance, gives nourishment. Uh, Number three, protect the sheep. Uh, We know that in times, uh, uh, there's danger out there. It says Satan uh, is lurking around and seeking whom he can devour. And um, elders and pastors are placed over us to protect the sheep. And lastly, protecting themselves and the church with wisdom. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Pro- Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. In verse 14, it says, Where there is no guidance, the people falls, people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. In an abundance of counselors, there is safety. The bottom line, biblical church leadership is important because without it, God's people are like sheep without a shepherd. And that's what it boils down to. Uh, we need godly leadership. So these are nine marks uh, of what some things that you need to have a healthy church. And a church that is operating the way that God has called us to. And a, a church that is um, good about equipping the saints to go out and to evangelize in our world. To be a light in the darkness. To be salt of the earth. All of those things. You need these things in place to have a healthy church. Um, So why is it important to be a part of a church like this? Uh, Let me just say this. There are bad churches out there. And just because a building and a congregation meet that has the word church on it does not mean they are good. There are bad churches out there. uh, And just because it's a church doesn't mean it's following how God desires for it to be uh, operating. So you need to know that. That there are bad churches out there. Uh, So three quick things very quickly as we end. uh, Things that a church does when it's working how it should. First of all, uh, ministry to God. Worship. It worships well. It is our job to aspire worth to God in all the things that we think. And all the things that we say. And all the things that we do in our life. Paul directs the people in Colossae to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Um, in Ephesians chapter 112, it says, we are to live for the praise of his glory. All of these things that we are to give worship to God. We are to bring worth to God in our whole lives. So when that happens, when we are a church 
desiring, uh, having these nine marks, first thing that comes out of that is that we worship uh, in spirit and in truth. Secondly, we have ministry to believers. Not only do we have a ministry to God, but we have ministry to each other. We belong to one another. And that means nurture. We nurture one another. The church has an obligation to nurture those who are already believers and build them up to maturity in the faith. Um, Colossians chapter 128 says that we are to present every man mature in Christ. That Paul said his own goal was not simply to bring, bring people to know the Lord, but to a saving faith, but to, not just to, to make them Christians and to baptize them, but to present them as mature in Christ. Wasn't good enough to, uh, to, baptize, or to save them and baptize them. He wanted to present every man mature. Ephesians chapter 4. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up of the body of Christ. Until we attain to the unity of faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's in Ephesians chapter 4. That was the goal. So we are to encourage one another. Help each other grow. Lift one one another up. And that happens in Sunday school, that happens face-to-face, that happens when you invite someone over for a meal and you just encourage them. All of those things, we are helping uh, nurture one another. Lastly, ministry to the world. Ministry to the world. Have a ministry to God, we have a ministry to one another. Last, we have a ministry to the world, and that is evangelism and mercy. If you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Jesus told his disciples that they should make disciples of all nations. This is our job. Declaring the gospel. Um, And a ministry that includes caring for the poor and the needy in the name of the Lord. So Luke chapter 6, 35 and 36. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Uh, This is kind to an ungrateful and the selfish. For us is kind to an ungrateful and the selfish. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Jesus was our great example in this. Uh, When the crowds came for healing... He didn't just heal those who had made a profession of faith to him. I want you to think about that for a second. When the crowds came, Jesus didn't say, well, you're going to become a Christian, so I'll go ahead and heal you. And you're going to follow me, so I'll go ahead and heal you. You, you're going to do nothing but cause trouble for the rest of your life, so you go away. That's not how he operated. And he was a shining example to us on how we should act to the world and how we should evangelize and to have mercy on people. So... Uh, Landon did have a blog on Monday entitled Seven Reasons You Should Go to Church the Week After Easter and I almost inserted it right into this talk but it would have been too long and he would have slapped me so uh, if you would like to continue on with kind of what we talked about tonight um, you can look at his blog on that he had on Monday it's good stuff uh, he's also going to come up and tell us about some books uh, that follow up with this and talk about this And there you go.
Thank you very much.